Hi, this is Corey McRae, the senator for the 45th Legislative District, and you're listening to the Condoy Street Podcast, my go-to source for the latest news and insight on state and local government in Maryland. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, today we're going to talk about the state's budget picture and how it may affect counties. But the big news today here on Conduit Street is that we are back in the building. We're back in the office. We are social distanced. You are way down across the table. But it's good to be back in here with you and not recording into a computer via the Internet. Uh, likewise, right? I mean, I think we all went through that process of, okay, we're going to work from home, we're going to dial in from home and all that sort of thing. But I've spent a lot of time with my family and it's been good quality time. I will say though, being back on Conduit Street itself, um, is, is a, is a welcome thing. So it's good to see you eye to eye as we record today. Yes, it is. It's been a long time. But today, again, we're going to talk about the state's budget picture. And Michael, it's it's certainly gloomy. And we had big news last week uh, with the Board of Public Works. We'll get into that. But first of all, let's jump right into it. We know the state is looking at a projected revenue shortfall of up to $2.6 billion in the current fiscal year, which just started on July 1st. And of course, this is all due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. So, you know, we're in the midst of a health crisis and it's a it's a health matter first and foremost, but we know that as a result of the economic disruption that our health concerns have caused, we see lots of unemployment, we see lots of business slowdown, a lot of economic activity that we count on, right. um, and so forth. So the business of government has itself been interrupted. We're being called upon to serve an awful lot of people, but at the same time, the revenue structure is not there. We don't know how deep and how long and how serious this will be, but we know it's a big deal. And we also know, of course, we should mention that counties are hurting too, right? We talk about the state. Counties are facing the same budget pressures. We're facing the same issues, as you mentioned, with revenues coming in. We rely a lot on the income tax, much like the state. So counties are along for this ride too. It's not just the state. We should point that out. This is the county podcast, right? right? And, and, and an awful lot of county employees and county services are being called upon to go above and beyond in these tough times. So people who work for local health departments, people in the school systems, um, people who are first responders, both like the call takers at 911 centers, right. but also your, your firefighters, your, your law enforcement, um, you know, the, the whole front lines of local government um, have been really on call through this whole thing. So it's, it's you know, it's, this is the calling of local government. We're here to be principal servants for for our residents, but at the same time, um, you know, the economy and, and this crisis make it tough. Right. So, you know, we, we're going to talk about the state budget picture primarily. We mentioned that up to $2.6 billion in fiscal 21, that's what the state is looking at as a projected revenue shortfall. And Michael, the governor has come out and he has proposed to cut $1.5 billion from the fiscal 21 budget. That is a 7.4% reduction in the state's general fund. But we know, Michael, that the General Assembly has already approved the governor's fiscal 21 budget, right? So what do they do if they run out of cash 
in the current fiscal year and the General Assembly has already left town. Because remember that state and local governments have to balance their budgets, right? They are not like the feds who can run deficits. We have to actually balance a budget. Uh, that's true. The fundamental difference between the federal government and the state and locals is, is what you just said. We've got to actually come up with the cash to make things work. So I, I think there, there's, there's a variety of things that are on the table for state decision makers to do. But the guiding mantra is if you need to do something in the fiscal year, you're in crisis. Do it as soon as possible, because when you push things off for months and months, um, if you've already spent a third of the budget year and you know, the money for the budget year and you now need to make a cut, you only have nine months, eight months, seven months left of a 12 month year. So get to it early as a guiding principle. I think that's what brought the governor and Secretary Brinkley. He's the, the budget secretary in, in, in Governor Hogan's administration to the table on literally July 1st. Right. They one of the new fiscal year to the Board of Public Works, which is one of the agents who can make something happen after the legislature legislature has gone home. Right. So, and I, I and I agree with you. I think the governor and Secretary Brinkley made clear: look, if things don't turn out as bad as we think they're going to be, we can always add back. But as you said earlier, it's always easy to do it up front before you spend the money, and then you're really stuck. I think they were saying we'd rather do it now, and if we want to add it back, if it's not as bad, we can certainly do that. But, Michael, you mentioned the Board of Public Works, yeah. and I asked earlier, what can you do if the General Assembly is not in town to approve these kind of cuts? And that's exactly where the Board of Public Works comes in. And remind folks what exactly the Board of Public Works is and who sits on the Board of Public Works. So as a matter of sort of you know, political philosophy for a second, we know we have two branches of government that have an active sort of day-to-day role in managing the government and the policy of the state. The judiciary manages matters of interpretation and, and things, things like that, but that's kind of subordinate here. The General Assembly as the legislative branch and the governor and executive branch really carry out the functions of government. Our General Assembly, for the most part, has a 90-day session and goes home. Right. So what do you do to have a decision-making process that's public and participatory in the time, particularly when the General Assembly is not around? You want to have a review of contracts being approved. You want to have an opportunity for citizens to participate in something, that sort of thing. The General Assembly has what's called a legislative policy committee that meets every so often, but that's not really the forum for running government. That's more like running the legislature. Right. So the Board of Public Works includes the governor, the comptroller, another statewide elected official, and the state treasurer who is who is elected by the General Assembly as the three statewide office holders to st- to sit as the Board of Public Works and do that sort of every couple of weeks. They convene. A lot of this stuff is perfunctory. They approve contracts and they go through things that state agencies are proposing to do. They want to make a change to something or they want to spend a big lot of money on a major project. The Board of Public Works is sort of the the final sign off before you get something done. So Maryland wanted to have a structure like that that's more than just the governor's pen signs off and everything gets done. So we're out in the open. We have this three-member panel that can sit and discuss stuff. They've historically 
likely been involved in capital projects right. and, you know, we mentioned contracts and that, that sort of stuff. So they have that role, but looming in the background, they also have a statutory ability to make cuts to the budget after the legislature has gone home. And that's where we are now. Okay. And they're, they have a limited role there. They have limited statutory authority. So just to frame this, the governor can ask the General Assembly when they come back to make cuts, but he can also ask the Board of Public Works to make limited cuts. And Michael, what they're authorized to do is cut 25% of the budget, essentially. They can't touch mandated funding for public schools. They can't touch mandated funding for debt service. And they can't touch the salary of a public officer during that term of office. So right. there are some exceptions, but generally they can cut around 25% of the budget. And and uh, we should sort of put a pin or an asterisk there and say the, the definition of that 25% has been the subject of letter writing and advice of counsel and so right. forth that goes back decades. Um, not like that would be its own sort of uh, like, you know, for, for just the Patreon members of the, the Conduit yeah, Street we podcast. We can certainly get into it. <laughs> yeah, like, we could do an hour on that, but I think that's probably more than we want to do now. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. So it's not just as simple as every $10 million line item is at risk of losing $2.5 If it's part of a larger piece, in theory, that could be more, it could be less. But they have some limited ability to go and say, because of tough times, not all the money that was authorized by the legislature is actually going to be spent in this year's budget. Right. So that I mean, it's it's meant as the sort of, you know, the the, the sort of the, the breaks when you're in this kind of circumstance. All right. So we mentioned the Board of Public Works on July 1st. The governor did bring that proposed list of cuts to them. And they did approve, Michael, $413 million worth of proposed cuts. It's a big deal. It's a right? big deal. It's right. real mean, money. Yeah. So so that's that's a it's a big step of a, a larger effort, um, but not to be trifled with, to, to show up on the first day of a fiscal year and say, here's $400 million we're going to do without for sure. Now, it, that's a lot of money, but it's important to point out that they were originally set to consider $672 million worth of proposed cuts. But several of those proposed cuts, including $41.1 million, Michael, in state aid to counties, were removed from from consideration after MACO and multiple counties raised real concerns here. Talk about that. Talk about what happened there and what we're talking about in terms of funding. Yeah, I think we can get into the details, but I mean, the way we set this up probably corresponds to the argument that the members of the Board of Public Works heard from local governments. And and that is the state government has a problem, but so do the counties. Right. So the counties are feeling this same pitch, pinch. We have the same people who are unemployed and the businesses who are on slowdown or have laid off their staff, you know, and affecting the county's coffers, they're going to show up in our in our income tax rolls. We're going to see the loss of economic activity and so forth. So like we're feeling the same pinch. And I mean, the simplest argument I think for the counties to make is if the state's in a bind, the idea of, well, we'll just slough off or cut back on some assistance to local governments for those functions. You haven't solved the problem at all. You're not spending less. You're just saying, okay, this is going to be Charles County's problem. You figure it out. Right. You're shifting, right. <laughs> you're shifting the problem to another level of government that's dealing with the same issue that you're dealing with, essentially. Right. So, so, I mean, our first argument, uh, you know, the county government community was basically sending this stuff downhill doesn't resolve the problem. Right. So, and, you know, I think, I think the theme of today's conversation is, 
there's a big problem. We don't know the depth of it. Um, this was the first salvo in what's going to be a longer story, but we didn't want it to start with, let's just go ahead and send stuff to the counties and have it be their problem to go fix as well. Right. So, so, I mean, you know, we can want, let's, 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 let's spend a minute on some of the components in that 40 some million that were directed to local governments, because I think a couple of the specifics matter here. Right. And so one of the, one of the programs that was proposed to be cut is the disparity grant program, Michael. And we've talked, I think, about disparity grants on here before. Disparity grants are for low wealth jurisdictions. And the whole idea here is to provide equity across the state, right? And your ability to raise revenue. The state designed this tax system. And so talk a little bit about disparity grants and why this was really, uh, this was one that really got Mako's attention. And and we fought really hard to to take this off the agenda. Yeah, I, I think maybe this is a case where the name of the program does it a disservice. I don't know what the word disparity grant means to a citizen. I, I, you know, you and I have talked about this program and we've spent, we've both cuddled up with the budget reports that describe how it works and how it's been capped and limited and so forth. So like we know how it gets calculated and what it's for, but there's nothing intuitive about the term disparity grant. What this is, is the state said, counties, you're going to be charged with lots of essential responsibilities. You're going to do education. You're going to do roads and bridges. You're going to do, um, you're going to do public, public safety, safety for right. most of the state. You're going to pick up the trash, all these sorts of things. And we know you're going to use property taxes and that's a part of how you fund, fund your government. We're not going to do a local sales tax here like lots of states do. We want you to use an income tax. Um, and that's a fundamental part of finan- financing county governments is the state authorized income tax. At the same time, we know that if you're a relatively poor jurisdiction and you're not loaded with big money, heavy hitters who are cashing in tons of capital gains on the stock market and whatnot, you don't have those citizens, you don't get a huge bang for your buck even when you go to the max on your income tax. Right. So even if you're at the (laughs) max, which is 3.2% here in Maryland for counties, you can you can raise it up all you want, but you right. don't have those big spenders there that are going to really bring in the cash, and that makes you less equitable than a county that does. Right. So the state from the from from the beginning of the time that the income tax was the way to offset some other state aid cuts back in the early 1990s, mm-hmm. um, I was there. Right. <laughs> but uh, you know, from forever ago, uh, the the state said we need to have a fairness element in the local income tax so that if you're willing to put in the effort, we're going to make sure you get a reasonable bang for your buck. And the state can fill in the gap for the poorest jurisdictions that have the lowest wealth base for the income tax. So you're saying you got to put the effort in, right? right? So if you're willing to go to the yep. max or near the max, the state is going to backfill that money that you, you should be getting, but because of the way the system is designed, you're not getting. So so the, the calculation is a little complicated, but that's the concept, mm-hmm. is that the state makes sure the income tax works works for everyone, every county. So counties build their budget off of what they expect to get from the income tax. They set their tax rate based on what their tax what their tax base is and what the state might kick in if you're a poor jurisdiction. So they made a good faith decision. This is the tax rate we're going to go with. We're going to we're going to go to the max or we're going to go to 3.1 or we're going to do 2.9 or whatever. Right. They made that good faith decision based on the way things work. And to show up on July 1 and say, "Oh, by the way, we're we're 
taken off the training wheels and suddenly you're going to just be on your own. You're, you, we're not going to give you that equity component that you built your budget on. It, it, it's, it's, it's some sideways logic. And the arguments we saw in individual letters coming from affected counties, I found very persuasive. I mean, Mako sent a letter, but I thought, I thought those letters from the Washington counties and Caroline counties of the world, I found them very persuasive myself. Yeah. And I think they often have a greater impact. Mako, they see us a lot. They hear from us a lot. But when you start talking about, you know, what's going on back at home and people start reading how this would affect individual counties, it really starts to hit home. And, the proposed cut to disparity grants was taken off the agenda, Michael, prior to the meeting. The comptroller, Peter Francho, came out and said, I'm not doing that. I don't agree with it. I don't think that's where we should try to to fix our problem. So thankfully, because of the effort of counties that would have been affected here and MAKO, I think they took this off of the agenda. It's still, and we'll talk about on on the back half, This is we're not off the hook yet here, but for now, it's good news on the disparity grant front. I, th- I think it is, and I think it was also... I think it was good government for the Board of Public Works to have a conversation about that specific program and enhance their understanding that this isn't just a random line item in the budget. This is basically the state living up to its word. Now, speaking of living up to its word, another proposed cut that would have affected counties is the teacher retirement supplemental grant. Michael, this was a $27 million proposed cut. This all goes back to when the state shifted teacher pension costs onto counties, right? And the state gave its word then by by creating this program for certain counties. Talk about that. You were there for this as well. How would this have affected counties? And this goes back again to the state keeping its word and, and doing what they said they were going to do. It was part of the deal. Yeah. Um, uh- all that is true. There were a lot of moving parts at the time when the state decided the state wasn't able to afford its full commitment for teacher pension costs, said we're going to build a lot of those costs into what we require the counties to fund through the education budget. But that's what makes this tricky is that there's a third party involved. This isn't just a check from the state that goes to the county government and they say, go have at it, do whatever you want. Um, In this case, this is sort of a three-legged stool, but we know the state already basically, you know, they have a very rigid maintenance of effort law that tells the counties, this is what you must fund your schools. Mm-hmm. You've got to do it. And we've we've talked on this podcast before about the very narrow waiver process. Nobody felt like they had the certainty this year to ask for a waiver this year, even though it's the most tumultuous fiscal environment we've ever seen. Right. Nobody could say, well, here's my application because what I need is going to be 6.7 million. Right. I don't know. I might need 20. I might need two. I might need nothing. So everybody took a pass on the waiver process, but to show up and say, we're going to, we're going to disappear this set of grants that are part of this sort of balanced system of funding the schools and making teacher pensions affordable as part of that maintenance of effort requirement. You, you can't pull one piece out of that system and say, well, everything's going to be just fine. The schools will be fine. The counties will be fine. Uh, the, the, the logic just isn't there to do that. So, right. so you know, we'll, we'll see where this lands, but this is another area where, you know, I, I don't, I don't think this was ill intentioned, but I think the discussion with the board of public works was constructive. Sure. And then another, a smaller component, a smaller proposed cut, but certainly one that's important, especially now on the ground, local behavioral health crisis grants, Michael. This is a million dollar proposed cut to counties. Might not seem a lot of money, but 
on the ground, a million dollars can go a long way when it comes to this kind of work. And we know there are a lot of nonprofits out there. Counties are working with nonprofits to make sure that people have the services they need. So this is another one where counties showed up and said, hey, don't do this. This right. is not what you want to cut to balance your budget. Which, which I think is we're seeing the tip of the iceberg of a larger policy debate that's already taking shape. We've seen you know, letters to the editor, to the Baltimore Sun and, and other big media venues basically saying, like, if we've got a budget crisis, and we probably do, let's do our best to avoid like balancing the budget on the backs of the the people who are most vulnerable right now, right, and and people who are in behavioral health crisis, mental illness, and so forth. We know that those issues go up in times of general like economic downturn and isolation. And you have to imagine, like with with all the 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 isolation, with unemployment, with economic distress, and with just anxiety about public health issues, all that stuff wrapped together. The, the optics of saying let's trim the budget for the help for those in the most distressed need. Um, okay, so this was this was sort of a self-correcting item, but but prepare for this debate to happen, sure. right? I mean, if you if you need to find more money in the budget, there's bound to be sensitivity in lots of different places along similar lines. Yeah, everybody has an opinion. Everybody cares about you know their programs and what they're doing. I know the Board of Public Works received a ton of phone calls, emails. Right. Everybody has an opinion here, but I agree with you. This is one where you shouldn't balance the budget on the backs of people that are suffering the most. Michael, in terms of state stuff that was taken off of the agenda after the comptroller and the treasurer came out and said, we're not in favor of doing this, there was a lot of coverage about scaling back positions across state agencies, eliminating a COLA, which is a cost of living salary increase, and raises for state employees for 21, and then cutting salaries by 5% beginning July 1st. We saw a lot of the unions come out against these proposals. This was also taken off the agenda. So not county stuff there, but I think it's important to point out. The Board of Public Works did approve something that affects counties here. They did approve eliminating a $36.4 million formula-driven increase to community colleges. And we've talked about community colleges before. The whole idea with community colleges is it's a third, a third, and a third of funding, right? It's the state, the counties, and then student tuition. We know that the state has never lived up to their funding obligation. It always gets kicked down the road right. as to when they're going to get there. But this is formula-driven. They were supposed to get a bump. They're not going to get it now. Right. And I guess the worry would be, you know, are the community colleges going to have to come to the counties to backfill that money? They're going to have to raise tuition. They don't want to do either. But that was approved. That is something that affects counties. Right. So, I mean, there's there's some strange elasticity in the nuts and bolts of funding education, like the two-year schools and four-year schools. The idea right now of do these offerings, are they going to look and feel different in the months of in the months ahead? And this, you know, the budget year, we're talking about, you know, right now, you know, we both live in Anne Arundel. Anne Arundel's offerings right now are exclusively online. Right, right. We don't know what the, what the two-year school in Anne Arundel County is going to look like um, for the fall semester or for, you know, for, for months in, in early 2021. The economics of accommodating students that way are probably different than they are the conventional, you know, butts in seats in class, you know, in desks right, and that right, sort of right. thing. I, I, I taught at Anne Arundel for a number of years and so forth. I've got fond memories of being at the front of a you know, big classroom with an old chalkboard. And maybe that's not the model for, for the year ahead. 
head. I don't know what that means for money. I don't know what it means for for um, attendance and participation and for tuition and so forth. But the idea of a, of a funding formula that was about to take a big jump being one of the things that you clip back in times of fiscal crisis, that actually maybe does pass the smell test. And the board, the board said, OK, we'll, we'll do that as one of the pieces we can live with. You mentioned you taught at Anne Arundel. How many students did you flunk while you were there? I mean, were you a stickler? I mean, were you failing people left and right? I'd have to think so. Maybe I, I wasn't. I wasn't awful on that front. Um, I was. I was a stickler in one regard. I never liked the tests that came with the textbook. Right. So I would write my own tests, and the other instructors thought I was a lunatic because if you take the text, the, the the ones that come with the textbook, they're pre-written. They're all multiple choice. You got you, the key. You, yeah, you. Just just, you just zip them. You send send them to somebody. They zip them through a machine. It all gets plugged right in. You don't have to do anything. And I would I would spend countless hours you know reading essays and marking things up because I can't help myself. And you, just, you just can't. <laughs> you know, it, 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 we'll leave it there right now. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to look ahead to what might still be on the table for the state and for counties. How state decisions may affect counties. All that and more after the break. This is John Frenet with Ion Annapolis to let you know about our daily news brief podcast. If you want to keep up on Annapolis area local news, local weather, and local events, check us out. We produce episodes every Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and deliver them right to your phone or computer for free. You can also catch them on our Facebook page, All Annapolis, or under the podcast category at ionanapolis.net. You can even ask Alexa to play it for you. So, if you want to keep up to speed on Mayor Buckley, County Executive Pittman, Navy football, maybe you're looking for a weekend thing to do, or if you just want to catch the hyper-local weather, give a listen to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, today we are talking about the state's budget picture and how it may affect counties. On the front half, we broke down what has happened so far as we sit here on July 7th. The fiscal year just began on July 1st. We had a big meeting at the Board of Public Works on July 1st where they approved a bunch of state cuts in terms of the budget. But now let's look ahead because we talked about counties and MAKO showed up at the Board of Public Works. We fought against some of these cuts. We were successful there, but we're not off the hook yet, right? There's a lot of uncertainty brewing out there. Talk about some of the the uncertainty that is most certainly going to affect this conversation moving forward. Right. So, I mean, when you try and do a budget forecast and if you're in the government business, you're trying to watch things. And for the state government, there's there's two things that matter the most. And, and, and those are the state has an income tax and the personal income tax, along with corporations paying their share, is the biggest item on the revenue side. So who's going to have a job? And we, not just like next, next month, but in like next February and next June, right. when you're trying to come up with how many dollars are going to be in the till for fiscal year 21, you're trying to speculate who, who's out of work now, who's going to be back to work by August mm-hmm. or by November or by March. Who knows? Right. 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 <laughs> and, and, and the other question you're asking is similar. Sales tax is number two. 
So um, people go out and they buy a pair of shoes or they buy a sub at Subway or those sorts of things and they chip in their 30 cents here and their $2.80 there and so forth. What really moves the needle is when people go out and they buy a refrigerator or they buy a new house and they populate it with a whole bunch of stuff. But anyway, all those sorts of things drive the sales tax, and that's a function of today's economy too. Right. So basically the same thing. Who's going to buy a refrigerator in February? Are the, Who feels comfortable enough to say, I'm ready to spend $800 on a new fridge? Okay, you got to feel like you've got a job today and you're going to have a job next month and so forth. Who knows? Right. It's so hard to predict <laughs> that, right? And we've talked about too on here, you know, a lot of the stuff that people were buying during the pandemic medicine and groceries, those are not subject to the state sales tax, right? So the state's not bringing in money on that stuff. As you mentioned, refrigerators, cars, big ticket items move the needle. Mm -hmm. And who knows when people are going to be ready to go out, especially if they don't have job security right now. They're certainly not out buying a refrigerator, you wouldn't think, right? So a lot of uncertainty with the economy. Right. And, you know, I mean, if everybody's going to work from home now, I mean, I'm not buying any new pants. Right. Sure. No, No, you're never wearing pants, right? And also, though, you're not driving to work, right? So that's... That means less transportation uh, yeah. revenue. Yeah, on the transportation side, sure. like buying a new car, especially if, if lots of people are finding that re- working remotely might be a permanent thing or a permanent part-time thing, right. then like who knows how we might reset the dial on some of these things long-term, but even just thinking short-term. Sure. To, to what extent is the economy going to come back? Is it going to be, you know, we, we describe we describe recessions with letters and we think of them as a graph. Are they going to be a U or a, a V or a, a Nike swoosh or whatever? So all these different theories out there, but nobody really has a reliable forecast. And what that means is if you're trying to, to make the budget plan work for the year ahead, you're thinking about the spending side saying, how do we rein that in? But you're trying to balance to a number that is a complete unknown. Sure. I mean, I mean but, and think about not, not just the obvious factors of at what point does the health crisis abate enough so that economic activity gets back to what feels like mostly normal. But, I mean, go bigger than that. We're sitting and watching uh, Washington, D.C. and Congress and the apparatus of the federal government where you know the National Governors Association, led by Governor Hogan from Maryland, has been saying we need the federal government to show up and keep the states from doing these cataclysmic cuts to our own budget. You can borrow. We can't. You need to help us. And right now, I don't know what the smart betting is. Like right. maybe. Maybe we've got room for more optimism now than two or four weeks ago. It sounds like there's some murmurs and tremors about extensions or changes or other sorts of things. I don't know. The stuff in the news today is all about what particular companies got money from the Paycheck Protection Program. And that looks like it has the capacity to be a sideshow. Everybody's a Twitter about that, right? Yeah. So uh, a Twitter's right. um, But uh, I, I mean, is it possible that sometime in the next four weeks we see Congress come together with a relief bill number four that says we're here to help all those frontline services. I I don't think it's out of the question. Sure. I mean, hopefully, hopefully. I mean, the National Association of Counties, too, has been working on this. And and the big argument is, look, we need the money, but we don't just we we, we need it without strings. Right. We need to be able to backfill the revenue that we're losing. We're spending all this money. We're also not bringing revenue in. The money that we've gotten so far has had strings attached. You can't use it to backfill revenue. That's the big driver here. Mm -hmm. So. 
So, I mean, that is a huge unknown. If we know there's an economic slowdown happening and we know that that's going to be a big dent in revenue, thanks for the help with buying equipment and hiring extra staff and so forth. That's great. That's been much needed. And we've been patching over small businesses and sure, so forth. Sure. So, yes, we're, we're doing all that stuff. But the thing we really need is to not shut down a fourth of county government and a third of state government as a result of just not having any cash. Right. So we'll see about that. But some of the loose ends between this health crisis and the fiscal crisis that results from it just seem uncertain to me as well. I mean, like over the last couple of weeks in Maryland, we've been having this debate about child care. We're still we're still uncertain what public schools are going to look like come this fall. And we've seen a lot of the school systems come out and talk about A and B days and some yeah, kids will be high, here this yeah, day. Yeah, or you know, right. opt in or stay home or do two days or whatever. We don't know what it'll look like. Right. But childcare lying in the background for families who have one or more kids who are school age. I mean, our economy is really substantially predicated on an awful lot of people being able to drop off their kids or put them on the bus or whatnot and go do their thing for the bulk of the middle of the day, sure. knowing that their kids are occupied in the public schools. <laughs> what do you do if your kids aren't in school half the week or not right, at all? Right. <laughs> so and, and, you know, if you're if you're a nurse. Okay, what what do you, what do you do? You can't right. exactly bring your seven year old with you on your rounds at the hospital. Right, absolutely not. No, I wouldn't think so. Right, <laughs> right. So so and I I mean the the arithmetic of the number of children who might need regular uh, regular supervision and actual childcare. Uh, seems like it's well beyond any capacity that I've heard we've got, you know, anywhere in the offing. Right? Yeah, it, it, it's to me, it is the the big unknown. And it's the elephant in the room that I haven't heard too many people talking about when you hear about what well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And half the kids will be here today. Well, well, what about the other half? What are their parents going to do if they have to go to work? So Huge unknown. I agree with you there. I also will say we have an election coming up in November, and we know that the markets tend to react, right. you know, depending right. on how elections go. So I think that's part of this, too. I mean, yeah. you know, a lot of people we're not talking about. There's so much going on. We have this big election coming up. I mean, that also right. can affect the economy, no right. doubt. Right. So so I mean, just just scads of unknowns here. Many of the unknowns in all candor are to the negative. So if it turns out that we get to the end of this calendar year and we don't have any progress toward a vaccine and we're still asking all the social places, the bars and restaurants and, and places like that to still be lower than, you know, half capacity or whatnot. If Maryland, you know, if if heaven forbid we end up looking at statistics that have us making the decision that we're seeing some of the southern and western states make now where they're retracting some of their reopening decisions and say, we're, we move too fast. Now we've got to rethink that. Let's go back to stage two, back to stage one. Let's close down this thing that was previously open. Like that has economic consequences as well as social consequences. Anyway, I mean, what we're getting at is in terms of the state budget, there's a ton we don't know. And there's a ton of those things that yeah, if the dice come up a certain way, make this problem even more profound than we're already struggling to to grapple with. Right. So, you know, a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty. And look, the governor came out and said, look, we, we took all this, a lot of these cuts off of the agenda. That doesn't mean that we right. don't need to find the money still. We still need to do it. Tell me where you want to cut if you don't want to do this. 
And if we don't do it, the governor says, look, I'm going to have to lay off thousands of state employees. So this problem did not just go away because the, the comptroller and the treasurer said not these programs. The governor is saying, go out and tell me where you want to cut. And we know that the Board of Public Works may consider more cuts still. You know, uh, this month, I think, is the bond sale at the Board of Public Works. So maybe in August when they come back, you'd have to think that there'll be another, you know, 80-page agenda with all these different line items and proposed cuts. Who knows if they're going to be the same ones that were taken off the agenda here before, if they're going to be different. But I think the bottom line is we're not off the hook. And we're not off the hook in terms of even before the General Assembly comes back, we'll get into what they're going to be considering. But when it comes to the Board of Public Works, Michael, in your opinion and your experience, we're nowhere close to in the clear. No, I don't. No one is. There's there's no reason to think that they're done. So whether whether it's July or August or September, you have to think that the Board of Public Works, which has regularly scheduled meetings, it's not not like they have to go to extra trouble to reconvene to talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. They meet every two or three weeks all year long. Mm-hmm. So so that's that's their ordinary course of business. You have to think stuff will be coming and as there's more clarity about what the feds might do or the month of July is when you start to see some income tax return data that'll give you a little clearer picture into what the last couple of months have looked like. We keep, you know, every, every month we sort of get a snapshot of what sales tax from the month before looked like. So the more data you have, the more, the more maybe confidence you have about what the number you need to balance to is going to be. Um, it's going to be speculation, but it's going to have to be serious. There's more to be done. We know that. Sure. So the Board of Public Works is one venue the governor has to go and make cuts when the General Assembly is not in town. Michael, we know that the governor will ask the Maryland General Assembly to make substantial cuts when they come back to town, when they're back in session. And in fact, the majority of his plan to rejaft the state's $49.7 billion budget would be up to the General Assembly. The bulk of it will require legislation. Right. And we're talking about $844 million here that the governor is going to go and ask the General Assembly to cut. And this is going to reignite this whole debate that you were talking about, about, you know, don't cut this program, don't cut that program. Everybody's right. going to show up. They're going to have to make really tough decisions. And there will certainly be county programs on the chopping block when they come yep. back to town. You have to, you have to assume so. And there's some of the body language is there, but just the magnitude of what they're already saying needs to be considered tells you that I don't think anything in particular is safe. All right, so, let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. What are some of the items that we've seen? Well, I mean, I, I would say something I'll reference back to something that, that you mentioned, um, the, the state employees and their and their employee you know, union organizations and so forth showed up on July 1st and said, you know, don't make these cuts right now. You know, you don't need to do this quite yet. We should be negotiating. We should try and sort something out. The, the likelihood of the entire fiscal year ahead being just situation normal for all state employees and whatever got bargained a couple years ago as part of a multi-year deal still remaining in full force all the way through this year is almost zero. Right. So, and, and, and I don't, I don't mean this that I've got it out for state employees. I just think this is the reality, just like that community college formula. We wanted to do right by them. The general assembly thought it made sense to keep it in the budget and it stayed in, but the governor says, okay, you know, we wanted it, but we can't afford everything we want. So We're going to have just a piece yeah. of the puzzle to balance this whole thing. Right. So when, and, and you're going to have to find lots of 20 and 30 and $80 million items to come up with another 800 or a billion and a half worth 
of cuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a $20 billion budget, give or take. And so to find a billion dollars, you're going to end up with pieces lots of different places. There's right. no doubt in my mind that Secretary Brinkley and the Department of Budget Management are in the midst right now of working with every state agency to say, okay, you know, give us your scenario, give us your 7% cut and give us your 14% cut and what things would go first and what things would go second. And we need to see all that stuff. Um, that's what you do when you're in this fiscal environment. And everybody else who's not a state agency, but is other in some other way connected to the state budget needs to be thinking the same way. County governments are on that list, whether we like it or not. So they're looking under the couch cushions now. They're trying to find anything they can to make this work. We do know that some specific county items, related items, are proposed already by the governor. This will be a part of his package when he goes back to the General Assembly. Right. One thing, education, right? And, right. and we saw a lot of people stirred up about this. $200 million, the governor is asking the General Assembly just to cut from education spending. Right. There aren't a lot of details here, uh, but $200 million bucks is a lot of money. Right. 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 No, no <laughs> right. details, right. right. It's just $200 million off the top somewhere. Right. So so this is this is a case where the, the governor doesn't have the ability to cut K-12 education funding formula spending. Ending. And with that's the, so, through right, the BPW, right, they can't touch that. Right. So, so that wasn't on the table for July 1. But what the governor did was say, the things I'm bringing to the Board of Public Works are a part of a larger effort. Right. And I need the General Assembly to be on, on board with other parts. And here are the general sketches of what, what's yet to come. So I have in mind $200 million of hit the pause button or roll back on some of the things that we're planning to do in K through 12 education, but no detail on whether that's a teacher training program or whether that's a school lunch program or who knows what. Right. And, and again, there's probably some variation on what we said before about community colleges, like who knows what the delivery of a public education to all of our school children is going to look like for this coming school year and how that's different in the budget. Right. Is it possible that there's a painless 200 million to find because we're not running buses the way we used to? Depends on who you ask right now. Right. I mean, I think that's basically true. Right. <laughs> right. A loaded question and answer right there. Sure. <laughs> uh, so, so another one, you know, that does directly impact counties and we've, seen this proposal many times before. Mako shows up and kills it every time. This is the proposal to shift 90% of the assessment costs onto counties. We're talking about property assessments here, Michael. Right now, it's a 50-50 split with the state. That's how we do things. There's a good reason for that. The governor has proposed multiple times to, to shift more of that responsibility onto the counties. This is about $17 million, So not tons and tons of money, but I think we have shown up with with other issues with this whole proposal in the past, and it, it really comes down to nuts and bolts kind of stuff, right. and the way that we do things is the right way to do it. Right. I mean, philosophically, having the state be the central place that funds, manages, and oversees the entire enterprise of deciding what property is worth is good public policy because it keeps all that stuff out of the hands of the level of government that has the biggest stake in it. Right. It's the counties and municipal governments who really rely on property tax. The state has a property tax, but it's it's like a dime on the dollar. So we're the main stakeholders. And the last thing you would want would be to move backward to a system where there's now an incentive for, you know, for the finance officer in a random county to say, well, you know, we need 25 are, are, yeah, we, we, 
right. We need we need money, and uh, our folks don't want to raise the the property tax rate. So I'll tell my assessors to go out, and I'll nudge them a little in the ribs, and lo and behold, we'll find our twenty five million dollars by monkeying with the assessments. Not that any county in Maryland would do that, right? I don't I don't think that's what but, would but happen. The incentive is there, right? But like that that's why you create structures to promote the best outcomes, sure. right? So so as a matter of like structure of government. We think this is a bad idea because it points the wrong direction. So, you know, if you want to err on the side of transparency and accountability and good government, this is counter to that philosophy. And the General Assembly has historically said, we agree that's not a wise direction to go. And nationally, Maryland is recognized for the way that we do this. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. yeah, exactly. The people from Nebraska, they take a trip to Maryland to learn how to do it right. And, and it would be a shame for us to say, no, 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 stay home. We're, 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 we're going the other way. Okay. And, I, and I've been holding this one until the end because you and I have talked about this and I know you're going to get fired up about this. There is a proposal to cut $130 million, Michael, in quote unquote, unallocated county aid. Now, unallocated, what does that mean to you? Again, you've been around, you know these terms. This, this sounds very suspicious to me. What are they talking about? $130 million of unallocated aid. So- First of all, we understand what a cut in local aid would mean, right? I mean, we know that we know that the state provides some help for local police departments. So there is a police aid formula. Sure. And the, based on the number of officers you have and your population and so forth, there's a formula and and eat, this town gets this many dollars and this county gets this many dollars and the state is a, a minor player. The local governments really fund the the overwhelming majority, but the state has a role. But there's Recruitment, right. retention yeah, yeah, grants, things right. like that. Yeah. So, so if the state says, you know what, we just can't come up with the money for police departments now, that's a cut in aid. We we would have the local decision whether we can backfill that cut with local revenues or we just do without that program. Um, same thing for local health. Same thing for like libraries. There's a long. There's a you know not not a super long list, but there's a reasonable list of areas where the state has a role in supporting a service that's basically delivered locally and it's formula driven most of the yeah, time. Yeah, in almost every case, these are formula driven. There are some that are grant based mm-hmm. and so forth, but. In any event, so so we get what a local aid cut looks and feels like. Okay, sorry, some of your program open space money isn't going to come through this year. You'll have to defer or cancel some of those projects because we need the cash. Right. That's happened. Life goes on, right? Unallocated local aid cut is a totally different animal. And this is a political euphemism. Um, people in politics are really fond of not talking about like when you're at wartime and you blew up a building that was full of babies, right? No one talks about dead babies. You say things like collateral damage and you come up with a, a couple of words that don't mean much because you don't want to talk about the uncomfortable truth of what really happened. Okay. So an unallocated local aid cut is the state saying, we're just not going to give you your income tax. 
So the that's, local income. That's what this is. Okay. So uh, it's not written down anywhere. The proposal that made it to the Board of Public Works doesn't explain this. It doesn't describe this. But I'm telling you, I've seen I, I've seen this euphemism used before. This is a a pet term for the state will decide to just not give the counties their income tax that they levied, that they debated the rate for, they built their budget on, and we'll just you know because the state collects the it doesn't make sense for everybody to have a, a separate form for your county. So we just have a line item on your on your state form. It's collected by the county. They hand it over. So Right. So the state collects the, the income yeah. tax for the, for the counties and then they distribute it to the counties. Right. But you're saying because there's that extra step that the state collects it, you're saying that this could very well mean and you do believe it means they're just not going to distribute about one hundred and thirty million dollars worth of local income tax money that was levied by the counties yeah. that belongs in the counties. So so this would look like a paragraph in a big budget reconciliation bill that would say. Notwithstanding any other law. Notwithstanding. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. One of those good you know, overarching right, terms. Right, right. Yeah. Like, yeah, we know we generally give you the money, right. but this year we're going to not give you the money. And instead, we're going to put $130 million in our general fund instead of sending it to the counties who levied the tax. And, and to the residents right. who believe they're paying right. a county tax that's going to go to county right. services in their community. <laughs> right. 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 So that's important. Right. So like if you're if you're any kind of adherent to structure of government and that there's an appropriate role for the statewide policy and there's an appropriate role for local policy, then like your ears should be hot hearing what this is. And I mean, I, I mean, that's fine. Okay. I'm a partisan. I, you know, we've, we've yeah. railed against this kind of thing before and it's been difficult and challenging, but like this is, this is a line in the sand kind of thing for county governments. Well, at least call it what it is. Don't right. hide behind a term like unallocated yeah. Yeah. aid. Yeah. Income tax diversion. There you go. Yeah. If you, if you put that on the sheet of paper, you can guarantee that Mr. Comptroller and Madam Treasurer would have both had their buzzers going saying, what, what is this? What is that line? What are you talking about? So that's why you put a nice face on it. And for purposes of saying, you know, we're going to talk about this later. Okay. That's all this is. It's a line item on a sheet of paper that says we have a plan. Some things are going to need the general assembly on board. And one of them, you know, like we have some ideas about cutting back in education without any details. Okay. We're not going to talk about that yet. And we have this local unallocated thing. Okay. We're not going to talk about that yet. That most people probably just glossed over, right? Of course. Because uh, it's just, it doesn't mean anything. For right now, glossing over is fine. But for the loyal followers of the Conduit Street podcast, put a pin in unallocated local aid or unallocated county aid, because that is a big deal. I can't imagine that we will not talking about this as we get closer to whenever the General Assembly decides to come back. This is going to be a big deal, Michael, and I think <laughs> you described it well. I mean, call it what it is, and also the fact that you're you're essentially stealing money from the counties. They they levied the tax. The residents believe that this money is going to their local community to to, to provide services for them, their families, their neighbors. <laughs> this is offensive, quite frankly. And when this all comes out, and and you know there is going to be a public debate about this. That's a good thing, and I'm sure we'll be at the table. Hey, I mean, I'm I'm sure there is some strict constructionist argument that says 
county governments are just a creation of the state. And if they want to, on a whim, they can just decide, hey, Garrett County's not going to exist tomorrow. We say so. Wrong podcast. Uh, right. I mean, yeah, for, yeah, first of all, yeah, find find another place to, t- to carry that debate. That person's not going to be a guest on the no, Conduit Street no, pod. So. But at the same time, I think the citizens have built in a proper expectation about what they're contributing to with the various taxes they pay. Sure. And that is a contract with taxpayers and citizens that that shouldn't be trifled with. All right. So we'll leave it there for this week. We left Michael all fired up, so he's going to have to get a glass of water. But if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. Also, follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, the Conduit Street blog. Until next week, this is Kevin signing off for Michael, and we will talk to you soon.